Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad Anupolat. Welcome to the new year and welcome to the first episode of the year. And I've got a great one for you. My guest today is Gary Art. He is the writer, the photographer, and the podcaster behind the Everything Everywhere travel blog. And his latest venture is the Everything Everywhere daily podcast, where he puts out a daily podcast every day, a 10-minute podcast that answers one fact that is tied to travel. And it's a very interesting podcast. So today's episode, we talk about what it's like, what a daily routine is like getting into creating a daily podcast. As you know, I have talked about many times, even getting out a bi-weekly podcast is pretty difficult. So how does he do a daily podcast, including a transcript of the podcast, which is also available on his site, plus maintaining everything else that he's doing. And we talk a little bit about his travels. It's a very interesting episode. If you want to learn about the business of just online content creation, maybe you've got a podcast or you're thinking of starting your own podcast, a lot of good information in this episode. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Gary Art. We've known each other for a long time. I haven't seen you in person probably for, ten, it must be 10 years, close to 10 years. Um, I think we ran into each other at like a conference or something, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't think it was, was 10 years. I mean, it's been a, it's been years, but I'm trying to think. There was the the F1 race in Valencia. I remember that. Um, that might be the last time. <laughs> I don't know. It's been a while. Yes. And, and I think you and I were one of the first travel bloggers. I, 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 one of the first. I, I was guess, back when there, you could pretty much knew who everyone was. Yeah. It was a small enough number. Yeah. And now it's changed so much. Um, and I, I want to get it a little bit into the history of sort of your where you are now with the transition to sort of adding the daily podcast. But I'm just curious, like how the idea of the blog started and sort of what led us up to pandemic times now and, and what you're doing now. Well, the idea of the blog was pretty simple. I mean, I came up with the idea to travel around the world. Uh, I had always had a personal website before they were even called blogs, you know, going back to the 90s. So it was a natural thing to do. Um, I started the travel blog in 2006 in preparation for my trip. And the trip started in March of 2007. And it, it's funny you ask this because I'm very close to hitting publish on a really long article I'm writing on LinkedIn titled why I'm no longer travel blogging. And it, back in the early days, people would come to your website to read your website and they would like follow you on RSS. And that was your social media. So my articles were really just sort of thoughts about wherever the place I was visiting or what life was like on the road. There were no digital nomads at the time. I was just a guy traveling. And um, <clears throat> that was, I, I'll call that like the golden age of blogging. There was no, I wasn't worried about social media. I mean, Twitter and Facebook existed. I think it, when I started, you probably needed a college email address to get on Facebook still. Um, Twitter wasn't quite a big thing yet. That didn't really take off. I think it was like 2009 at uh, South by Southwest that it became a, a big thing. Um, but yeah, it was just, you had a website and people went to the website and then that's what it was. And then social media took over and I jumped on the social media bandwagon like everyone else. And I put a lot into it. 
And over time, I became more and more disillusioned with everything that was happening. As social media became more important, that's where everyone was. And then they began uh, using an algorithm to filter what you see. And so it began, you, you had to please the algorithm. So you had to create clickbait headlines. And uh, we're at a point now where I asked around, like most travel bloggers, 90% of their traffic approximately, maybe 80 to 90% is coming from some combination of Google and Pinterest. And I used to subscribe to like a hundred different travel blogs in my RSS reader, just to read the art. I, mean, I wasn't reading every article, but just looking at the headlines to seeing what they were, were doing. And just before the pandemic, everyone was basically writing the same article. Top 15 things to do in Paris or, or whatever. It was just these listicle things for, uh, that were SEO optimized. And that's all it was. And if you're doing that, First of all, it has, it's nothing to do with travel. You don't have to actually travel. If you go to look at the crazy tourist, this site gets tens of millions of visits per month. And it's just a, it's a content farm. It's literally a machine created list of destinations and they have people farming out. There's not an original photo anywhere on the site. It all comes from places like Shutterstock. And uh, so you don't need to travel to have a successful travel website anymore because Google doesn't care. They just all they, you know, they, they have an algorithm that that's all they do. And the other thing is that SEO is a zero sum game. If I rank number one for a keyword, you can't rank number one for a keyword and vice versa. There are only 10 things on the front page for any search result. That's it. And I don't think the travel industry has figured this out yet because they're still sending people on press trips to write articles where the only people that are ever going to read that article are finding it via search. Well, there are already 10 things for whatever they're going to write about. And if, if you know, they don't like what's on the front page, well, they could just write the article themselves. They don't need to fly someone in. So the whole, uh, the whole business was, it kind of sucked. I mean, to be completely honest, it just, it wasn't enjoyable anymore. And then the pandemic hit. And that just took something that was bad and made it worse. Um, I was in Portugal in February of 2020. And this was at the time where everyone is still talking about it being in China. And there were some cases in Northern Italy. And, uh, you know, that was it. And I get home from Portugal on February 28th. And the moment I get home, I'm sick. I'm sick for like a week. I probably had COVID. It was still so early, like literally the first week of March, that there were no tests available. There were nothing like that. Um, and I, th I thought, like a lot of people, oh, this would this will be over in like a month or two. By May, we'll be back to to normal. Well, that, that didn't happen. Um, and when the lockdown started, the traffic to my website fell off a cliff because nobody was searching for travel stuff anymore. Affiliate sales fell off a cliff. All the contracts I had uh, with destinations were all canceled. I had a, uh, an event that I was planning. I was ready to sign a contract for that got canceled. Everything got canceled. Um, and all of the, you know, the travel companies, they were all in the same boat. They were all just trying to survive. Um, everybody laid off staff. It was, it was really bad. I started talking to some higher up people in the travel industry that worked for some rather large companies. And what, what they were telling me, what they were seeing was not at all what I was thinking at the time. I thought this would be temporary. And they're saying, no, this is going to be 
you know, the travel impact after 9-11, everything shut down for like a week. They're like, no, this is going to be that a hundredfold. This is something that's going to take years to resolve. And, they, and, you know, they ended up being right. And I started to become concerned, like, oh, well, what am I going to do? I have all my eggs in the travel basket. I need to, to think of something. And I came up with this. I, I had, well, there's a podcast I was going to launch a couple of years ago. I had the name. It was the same name as my blog. And the name of my website, thankfully, is so generically, you know, large. I mean, it works for travel, but it literally works for anything. Uh, so um, it was in my original thought for the show was going to have these very long episodes where I really went into depth on some subject and I began doing research for it. I had the artwork done. I had the music done. I just never pulled the trigger on it. And then when this happened, I went back to the idea, except that I changed the, the focus. Instead of doing infrequent longer episodes, I'm doing more frequent shorter episodes, which has tons of benefits that I didn't even realize at the time. Uh, I did the math, and a daily podcast just works out so much better than a weekly podcast because it, you know, your revenue is fundamentally a function of the number of ads you serve. And the number of ads you serve is a function of the number of episodes you have. So doing a daily podcast, all things being equal, will give you seven times the number of ads than a weekly podcast. Uh, and it also turns out doing a shorter daily show, it's easy for people to consume. If you have a three-hour Joe Rogan episode sitting in your podcast feed and a 10-minute episode, you're probably going to listen to the 10-minute one first so you can get it out of the way. Because you know you're not going to finish the three-hour one no matter what happens. And uh, so I began doing that on July 1st, 2020. And that's pretty much what I've been doing literally every day uh, since then. That, that is amazing. Uh, because I, I had started podcasting right before the pandemic, like uh, December of that, the year before. Um, and I find it difficult to do, to have the process of recording an episode, editing it, you know, getting it ready, putting in the ad spots, all that stuff. Um, how how do you manage to do it on a daily basis? And and not to mention, you also do a transcript of it as well. So I, I don't know. I don't that's... do a transcript. I do a script. Okay. And that's what makes all the difference. So I literally am writing an article, basically, about 15, 18 words. And then I read it. I don't have to worry about us and ahs and network disruptions. Um, or, you know, what I think we may be having right now. Um, so that that's, it's all really easy to do. I have a set format. I have an intro, theme music, ad, uh, you know, a body. And I followed that every single time. Um, so yeah, that, that part of it's actually really easy to do. And I edit as I record. So I read it. And then if I don't like how that sounded or I flubbed it up, I just, go back to a, like a paragraph break and I start again. And so the actual recording is the easiest part of what I do. The hardest part is the writing and the research. That takes several hours. Interesting to me. It's a different way than like I do it, for example. Well, if it depends, if you're doing a show like this, like we're doing a conversation, uh, you can't really do that. It's only because I have a script. So it's not even like I'm just sort of extemporaneously talking. Um, it's the fact that I'm reading from a script that allows me, that, that makes the recording part so easy. 
of, you know, I've done other podcasts. We, I've been doing this week in travel since 2009 and we don't even bother editing it. We just throw it up. Uh, it's probably to our detriment, but uh, no one really wants to put in the work. And every episode is a fact. And I have to say, when you tweet them out, it almost always grabs my attention. I'm like, oh, I, I have to know the answer to that question. Because, you know, you'll, there's so many different topics and it's really tuned in each episode, which I like. And I think you've hit on something that it kind of itches this part of a lot of people's brains where it's sort of like, it's almost like clickbait, but with a reward, right? So like you're, you're getting the answer to the question. And sometimes the question you didn't even know existed. Yeah, because it's a scripted show, it's, I, it's, it's pretty tight, I think, as far as there's not a lot of filler, there's not a lot of rambling uh, that you might get if it's a conversation or if I was just talking extemporaneously. Uh, so it, the show's about 10 minutes long. And yeah, it's, I think that's what a lot of people like about it. And the show is, you know, it's titled Everything Everywhere, and the topics are all over the place. But it's trying to get people to learn about something that maybe they heard of, but they don't really know anything about it. Like they may have heard of something in history, but they don't, they, they, they just don't know the details behind it or something they never heard of at all. And they just don't, you know, it, it's something that I'm introducing them to. Or maybe I'm explaining a concept you know, it's, it's outside of travel, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's an idea that you had that's. Yeah. And let me explain why I did that. The problem with travel that I've noticed is I have friends that have popular websites in other niches, fashion, food, technology, and they always had far more traffic than my site ever did. In fact, more than any, even, even other travel bloggers that were better at SEO than me, they would get more traffic than them because people were only interested in travel when they're about to go on a trip. You don't follow travel like you do sports or technology or politics, right? Because there's always something happening. There's always another election, a controversy, a, a new championship season, whatever it is, something is always happening. That's not true with travel, right? The, the Coliseum is there. It'll, it'll be there. If it's not there, I guess that's a new story. But uh, so, so people don't consume travel that way. And I always visited things like World Heritage Sites and national parks. And that's, that's why I always traveled. And packaging it in this format, instead of an explicit travel format, gets people interested because they just want to learn, not necessarily because they're about to go on a trip. But what I found is that when you pitch it in this way, it does get them interested in going and seeing these places. So I announced that I'm going to be doing a trip later this year to Rome. And I had, and I've done reader trips before. I've had more interest in this trip than I ever had before. And this also goes into the benefit of podcasting is that reading words on a page, whatever, there's billions of, of web pages on the internet. I actually, part of this article I'm writing, I calculated the amount of time spent on my website in December of, of 2022 based on the average time spent on my site per session, based on Google Analytics, number of sessions. And then I doubled it because all the Google Analytics data is wrong now because of ad blockers. 
and that's a whole other thing. Um, so I estimated that my website garnered 65,000 minutes of attention last month. My podcast garnered 1.8 million in minutes of attention during that same time period. And I've only been doing the podcast for 18 months now. People listen to my voice every day for 10 minutes. And that's a bond that you cannot get through social media or through a website. You just can't. I mean, I'm not, I'm not deleting my website or anything, but it's so much better in terms of uh, getting people, getting people's attention and making them engage with you than a website ever could be. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I've noticed the same thing that the, the comments that I get, the feedback I get from the podcast is the most in-depth sort of intimate kind of contact that I have with people. And I was, I was really surprised. I was like, who's going to listen to a podcast, you know, like just randomly about travel and tech. Um, but, but it, I think you're right. I think being in people's ears and I, I'm like that with the podcast that I listen to is like, I feel sort of this kind of bond with the podcasters. Cause you hear about, it's, it's a very raw format as well in, in a way to, to hear, even if it's, you're writing a script, that script has, has an idea and it. it reflects your personality because you're taking the, the topic in a certain direction. Um, yeah, and it, you can add nuance to something when you're speaking that you can't do when you're writing. If you say something sarcastically, oh, that was a good idea. Um, you can convey that when it's through speech. And it, whereas if you write out, that was a good idea, you can't, you know, we don't, unless you're using an emoji or something, it's very hard to indicate that you're being sarcastic. Um, so that's part of it. And it's just people, people follow people. And, and this is something that I think we're seeing people are beginning to, you know, there's so many of these uh, content companies, news companies that sprang up online, uh, BuzzFeed and all these other ones, and they've all pretty much failed. You know, they're not doing great. They've either gone out of business or they've had tons of layoffs and mergers. What is doing well are independent journalists. They're able to make a fair amount of money. And one of the reasons I decided to go all in in the podcast is I just did the math. The CPM rates for a podcast are much higher than what you're going to get with uh, a blog. And it's not even funny. To even get something respectable, I have to put ads all over a web page. Whereas with a podcast, I can just do a single podcast for a 10-minute show. And that's it. And it's, you know, uh, the, the rates are much greater. And, and, you know, $25 to $50 for a CPM you know, if I, if you just do the math, if I can get 10,000 people, then it's entirely possible to be making, uh, you know, somewhere between 250 to $500 a day, uh, off your podcast. So, and, and the podcast sort of like, you know, YouTube, for example, it, it has a built-in mechanism to subscribe to a person like there it's set up to kind of attract subscribers whereas a website doesn't really have that you know it used to with rss more, yeah i mean yeah. in the good old days rss was the thing that you wanted you wanted people to subscribe to your to your website and then when google killed google reader ever since then um i i never stopped using rss and i know a lot of people who are you know really technically orientated have never stopped using it either but i think that's what killed blogging to be honest uh and turned it into just 
content creation SEO stuff and it removed the personality from it. Well, podcasting, that that's never changed. I don't think it's ever going to change because there's no one company that dominates podcasting, which is which is a blessing and a curse. Um, it's it's harder to get your podcast known, but it's also a lot more sticky in that people tend to stick around. I was talking to Chris Christensen about this, who has a very popular travel podcast. And he was saying that his uh, podcast traffic did not fluctuate nearly as much during the pandemic as his website traffic did. And I, I, I believe that that makes sense. Yeah, you, you bring up a point that I've been thinking about a lot in the last few months is, is blogging dead? I think the answer is mostly yes. I think there is still a Websites place for- are not dead. Mm-hmm. I mean- I was on club. I, I was in Clubhouse for its golden age, which consisted of about two weeks in January of last year. And I remember going into some of these travel blogging groups with people I had never heard of, giving advice that was basically the same thing people were saying six, seven years ago. And yeah, it's not a you know the the, the word blog is short for web log. It was like an online diary. That's what blogging really was. And you can call it whatever you want. And I know there are people that are successful doing it, uh, but it's just a website. That's all it is. And the thing is, if Google changes their algorithm, you're screwed. Because the people that are visiting your website are not fans. They're not, uh, you know, have any sort of commitment to what you're doing. They just happen to come across your website in the course of a search. They got what they wanted, and then they left. And that's, that's all it is. So in, in, and I, uh, I forget who said it, but someone said, you know, if you're writing for an algorithm, you're not writing for an audience. And a lot of, I hear a lot of bloggers say, well, my readers, it's like, no, they're not your readers. <laughs> they're, they're readers, maybe, in that they are reading, but they're not yours. You know, if Google changes their algorithm, they're gone. And, but because there's no algorithm in podcasting, it's not something you really have to worry about. People, they literally know my name. They know the sound of my voice. And because of that, uh, there's a, a stickiness that that I'm not worried about someone pulling the rug out from under me, which is why I'm putting an effort into podcasting and not YouTube. Because that can happen on YouTube. And you probably hear it every week. There's always some YouTube channel who, for whatever reason, even if it's something innocuous, uh, they get demonetized or they get taken down because some anonymous person at YouTube objected, objected to something. And even if you are successful at YouTube, uh, on YouTube, you have to get many, many millions of views in order to be able to, to do well, like a lot. Um, so much that, you know, if it was a network television show getting the same number of views, they'd be making hundreds of millions of dollars where the same thing on YouTube will be making a tiny fraction of that. I'm curious, what do you think about deals like, like the Rogan Spotify deal, for example, like, does that seem like the sort of the, the landscape in podcasting is, is shifting? Might, I mean, it seems like it hasn't been that good of a move for his podcast, maybe financially. I, but. I will be willing to bet that when his deal is up, and I'm guessing it's probably at the end of this year, or the end of next year, uh, he will not renew it because he's dropped little hints along the way. Um, I think that this basically 
gave him enough money that he doesn't need to worry about money anymore. And he's openly talked about even doing the show without advertising, just doing it. I don't think they'll do that, but um, he's definitely lost reach, which is saying a lot because 10 million people are listening to, to every episode of his show. And to put that into perspective, a primetime show on CNN does not get a million people watching. So his audience is, you know, if you take all the cable news shows in the United States, his audience is a couple times bigger than all of them combined. Um, I'm guessing he may, he, the thing is before he did the Spotify deal, his show was not on Spotify at all. He prevented it from being on Spotify because they weren't paying him. So he's exclusive. I think what would happen is he'll go back to having an RSS feed. He'll go back to having it on YouTube and Spotify will pay him a fee to have the show on Spotify and maybe it will appear one or two days early. That's it, my, my guess. And in a way that's good for podcasting in general. I think it, it keeps the landscape sort of more even, you know, where it's not, you know, you're on this network or that so, network. Yeah. Instead of a hundred million dollars to make it exclusive, they'll pay him 10 or $20 million for preferred access or whatever it is. And, how what what is the the daily routine of actually producing the podcast so how does it go from the i guess the well you let me know but from the initial idea to when it's released on you know apple or google or wherever so my days are really screwed up now um i woke up about an hour ago i go to bed now at like five in the morning because uh, I stay up all night doing the show because it has to get out the door. I have a list, a running list right now of almost 650 show ideas. And I've done 550 shows so far. And I just, when I think of something, I just put it down. Um, and I come back to it. So I don't know what tomorrow's show is going to be. Um, I, I don't know. Um, but, but even just talking to you, an idea came to my head that um, the how Turkey transitioned from the Ottoman Empire to a republic and that that, pay, that phase after World War One is a really interesting story. And I don't think a lot of people know about it. Mm. Uh, the Young Turks and Kermal Ataturk, uh, that, that transition, uh, and I, I was thinking that would make for a good episode because I think that's a period of history that a lot of people don't, you know, they may be roughly aware of it, but they don't kind of know the details of what happened. Um, but, but I just have stuff like that all the time. I'll do one show and that will beget several other ideas for other shows as well. Uh, I did one a couple days ago on the Meiji Restoration, which was how Japan basically in a few decades went from being a feudal agrarian society to an industrial society in the 19th century. They just like, okay, we're going to do this. And they just radically changed their, their society. And then once I got into this, I was realizing you know, because I was talking about the Shogun and the, the, the samurai feudal system. I was like, well, okay, samurais themselves would make for a good show. Uh, and then I came across, you know, this one great sword maker. It's like, okay, that would probably make for a good episode. Uh, and you can just, you know, kind of go down things like that. Once you, once you pick one thing, it just spawns tons of other topics. And so, so you have the idea list. You pick one out, I guess, which strikes you the next day. So for like tomorrow's podcast, I'm assuming sometime today you'll go, all right, that's the one yeah. I'm going to do. <laughs> and then and I try to make it random because I've tried to find if there's a 
a commonality or a theme as to what episodes are the most popular. And I can't find it because whenever someone talks to me, they mention something completely different as an episode. Some people like ancient history. Some people may like the World War II stuff. Some people like the technology stuff. Um, I, you know, I, it, so I, it's very hard for me to find out what people like. So, and the thing is, there's always going to be something that someone may not like. So if I did a week of Roman history, if you don't like Roman history, you're probably not going to listen to anything that week. And then I run the risk of losing you as a listener. So by keeping it kind of random, um, I think it helps retention, or at least that's the theory. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, as someone who listens and, and follows you, I, I think it, it, it's like, it's like scrolling on Instagram. You don't know what you're going to get. It has that sort of slot machine effect in a way. You're like, oh, okay. Um, so that's, I mean, that's a pretty crazy schedule. So you probably start, you know, in an hour or two or whenever we're done. I'm, I'm assuming picking I the can, topic. It depends on how, there are some topics that are just easy to write. And strangely enough, the longest episodes have been the easiest because I'm just writing about something I already know. So I did one that I explained how the electoral college works and I knew that and it was one of my longest episodes, but I, I just sat down, I just did it. And it, I wrote it in like two hours. Others can be short, but they require a lot of research, especially if it's something that I only know about vaguely. Um, there are some episodes I really want to do, but there's so much there trying to condense it down. Like I wanted, I want to do a story about how horses got to North America because they didn't have horses in North America. There's this, you know, image of American Indians on horseback and that occurred after the Europeans arrived. So there were no horses And the story of how horses spread. It came from a single ranch in New Mexico, a Spanish ranch. And the Spaniards were always like, don't trade horses. Don't and that's because that was their technical advantage horses. They got out, and then there you can see these maps of how they literally just spread and how they were adopted by these. They adopted extremely fast. Uh, the Comanche went from you know a generation of never having seen a horse to becoming uh, 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 light cavalry on a par with like the Mongols, who who had horses for millennia, right? That they've been using them, and the Comanche did this in like. A matter of a couple decades and so much so that there are some researchers that are like well no there must have been horses in north america because there's no way someone could do that and i always think like well yeah you just they did it um but there's lots of topics like that that i there's one one episode that i started doing that i abandoned because it was on the first american serial killer hh holmes and everything i had read about him it turned out was a lie um, that there was just this embellishment of the newspapers that they would keep making more and more outrageous stories that he killed 200 women, that he had this house where he had shoots where he would throw the bodies down and all this stuff. And, it, you know, then it turned out like, man, maybe he killed nine people. I mean, still a serial killer, but uh, not the big stories. And I got so confused by everything. I eventually just sort of gave up and I'll probably go back to it at some point, but yeah, it's, it depends on the episode. And what's the average, or I guess the shortest and the longest research time? Some topics, I guess you already know about, but. Oh, I mean, I suppose the longest I probably spent on one is like eight hours. 
shortest yeah if i can if i know what i'm talking about i can just write it and like the, the episode i did uh, today's episode is on the acadian expulsion which was all the french people in what is today nova scotia were basically kicked out by the british and i knew a lot about it because i had visited the location previously and a lot of these i should say are based on my travels they're based on things that i visited or i went to that was the you know the genesis of it um so I knew a fair amount about that. And yeah, it kind of depends on just how lazy I am as well. So, well, I get travel ideas from the, the show. Um, I have a couple of places or cities I've been to. Valencia comes to mind. I'm like, oh, I want to go there and see that. Would you know? Water Council? Yep. Which I was like, I'd right. be there on Thursday. <laughs> so I was like, that, that seems like a really cool thing to see. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's it, like 15 minutes long. It, it's not very long, but uh, yeah, it, it's definitely worthwhile. And I'm curious just about the tech that you use. Just what, what, what are some of the, like, what does the setup look like? And, and you know, what software are you using? GarageBand. GarageBand, okay. And I have a, the Rode Podcaster microphone that I've had for years. And that's it. I, I use Levelator, which is a free pro, uh, Mac program that will automatically uh, create the same loudness level. So I put it all together in GarageBand, drop it into Levelator, and literally, literally Levelator is a program that has no settings, no buttons. It just does one thing. And then I have another free program that will convert it to MP3. And that's it. And how... Like, are there days or, or do you get this? I have this too. And I have something like, I'm going to put out this many videos a week or do this. And I'm like, oh, if I'm going to miss that goal, I start to get like anxious. Do you have that? Do you, have you missed a day? The only days that I didn't put up anything were in September of 2020 when I moved. Um, so I lived in Minneapolis when the riots occurred. Like I lived right on Lake Street where all the riots happened. So stuff was burning down around my, my, my apartment building. And um, that plus pandemic, I pretty much just threw in the towel and I said, I'm out. In fact, I just sent an email to my landlord and was like, by the way, I'm gone. I just got a U-Haul one day, packed it up and, and left. Uh, and so that week I didn't publish anything. But even then, so what I'll do now is because I've published 500 episodes, I'll do like a rerun sometimes it's called an encore episode so i'm publishing something that day and i've done so many episodes now that even if you've heard that episode there's a good chance you may have forgotten it so and they're so short that people still listen to it anyhow for the most part um so that's what i do but the biggest part about doing a daily show is getting out a daily show and i, I tell people that because a lot of podcasters are like oh you know you just have to have it perfect and it's like no man i got to get this out the door that's the the biggest thing. And you get an appreciation for like what it, what it must have been like in a, you know, running a newspaper. You know, if you have to get out an edition every day, you got a time. And if it's not in by this time and boom, it's got to be done. So I, I kind of had a, a business plan when I started this. And uh, phase one was basically just growing the show. I consider like phase one complete now. I'm in a podcast network. They're going to start selling ads for me. Um, and phase two, I'm going to be, now that I can actually start bringing in more revenue, 
I'm spending a, a fair amount of money on promotion, which is the other thing about podcasting that you can't do with blogging. I can calculate the value of a listener to the show or a subscriber. It's, it's a very easy calculation. And then I can determine, okay, what's the cost of acquisition for a subscriber by advertising on podcast apps? And there's a, a huge disconnect in that there's a huge arbitrage opportunity. I can acquire a subscriber for about $2 and the value of it is about $15. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very easy thing. Um, once you can get revenue to start rolling in to start increasing uh, your audience size. And so that, those are kind of my plans going forward. And in terms of the, your, your traveling, I mean, it seems like, you know, when the world opens up or do you, you know, are you pretty much set with the amount of travel you've done? You know, you can travel less and still get the show out or um, not, is it not so much of a concern? I don't think I'm ever going to go back to traveling like I did. I don't think it's financially viable um, anymore. And even if it were, I don't like, I, you know, as I started at the, at the beginning of the show, I don't like that, that business model. So what I may do is if I travel, I'll probably stay in one place longer, which is something I never really did before. Uh, eventually, I would like to hire people to uh, write for the show. So that would take the biggest burden off my shoulders. It would allow me to record episodes well in advance, as opposed to doing them every single day. Uh, and I think once I can get to that point, that'll radically change uh, what the show is about. But the other nice part about this is because you can spend money to promote the show to grow subscribers, there's really no upper limit. I've looked at other history shows and things like that that are similar, and there are shows out there in big podcast networks that have audiences in the millions. I see absolutely no reason why I can't have an audience of over 100,000 people listening to the show every day within a couple of years. No reason whatsoever. And if you just do the math, you're, that's a seven-figure income annually if you can get to that point uh, because I own the show and uh, you know I'm, uh, it's not some uh, podcast network that owns it. And it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's something different too, I think, in the... In the at least in the, you're, you're feeling sort of a niche that I feel is lacking in it, you know, the, in the podcast world, um, which is interesting, but it's also interesting to see, you know, someone who started travel blogging, branching out and doing different things, which you don't see a lot of, you know, in that I community. I think a lot of, there are some people that are still doing the same thing, but a lot of people have branched out. I mean, you're doing more stuff with technology now and you've made apps and stuff like that. Um, there, there were several, you know, large travel bloggers that launched new websites during the pandemic, and they were usually destination related, because I think a destination website, all things being equal, probably make more money than a generic travel website will. Uh, so there's all sorts of ways that people have been uh, niching down, if you want to say, or at least finding uh, things that are kind of related to it. What I'm doing, I guess, is a little bit further afield from travel blogging in that it's not explicitly travel and it's not explicitly a blog. Well, it's not a blog at all, but um, I still think there's a travel component. Like I still have one foot in that world. And, you know, I did a series of promotions with the tourist office of Spain and they've just been as pleased as punch with how everything has gone. 
uh, one of the representatives, I, I spoke at a conference in last October, she got up and said it was the best money they had ever spent. That, you know, getting people interested in something about the place is in many ways far more effective than just talking about it in terms of, oh, here are the places to visit in Spain. Well, you know, that, you know, the places to visit in Spain only works if you're already planning to visit Spain. But if you've never thought about visiting Spain, you're going to probably do it because of something really cool someone told you. Or maybe you saw a movie or, you know, a scene from Game of Thrones or something you want to see themselves, something that sparked your interest to want to go to a place. And it's that sparking of interest that I've always thought has been the, the key to successful travel promotion. Yeah, and I I also like that, you know, you're learning something with each especially like as years have gone by, you know, the more time I spend online, I'm like a lot of the time I spend online is, is a waste, like social media, scrolling, that kind of stuff. Like if I'm going to put time into being online, I want it to be useful. And so um, that's one thing I really like about, about the podcast is that like I leave and I'm like, Oh, I learned something and maybe got a travel idea. Maybe learn something i just didn't know well that's that goes into a whole other thing i mean i've i've really come to hate social media kind of just <laughs> in general and I, this is and i have a, a, a decent social media following but i really don't do much with it anymore i don't see the point in getting into arguments uh i keep my 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 podcast very little oh i was saying i the podcast is is non-political on purpose because i just don't think we need people interjecting politics and things. I did kind of a, 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 an offhand search of different popular websites and looked at their reviews on Apple Podcasts. And there are two things that always generated the most negative reviews, one-star reviews. One was having too many ads, and the second was uh, inserting politics when it wasn't necessary. If you have a show that is explicitly political, that's fine. But there was a lot of like history podcasts where people would, you know, interject an opinion about something going on right now, which which had nothing to do with it. And you're always going to, no matter what you say, you're going to tick off half your audience probably. And I don't see any benefit of that. I would rather just present, here's kind of what happened is the best we know. And even if you kind of want people to come to a conclusion, it's better that they arrive at that conclusion themselves than you beat them over the head saying, oh, and by the way, you know, today, I did a whole bunch of um, episodes before the last U.S. presidential election about very close elections in U.S. history, because there's actually been several of them. And all these people that are like, oh, this is the most important election in history. It's like, no, it's not. We had a war. We had a civil war that killed a million people. This is not the most important election in U.S. history. Not even close. It's not the closest election. We've had a series of these things. And people, it's because they just don't have a sense of history uh, as to, you know, that, that they just don't know. The election of 1874, that was a disaster. Caused huge problems. But they don't know about the election of 1874 because, you know, nobody cares. Um, they, they don't know who Rutherford B. Hayes is. Uh, or why he was a big deal in Paraguay, which was another episode I did. Yeah, I, what I, you know, one thing I love about each episode is it's like it's all. It reminds me of like a Jeopardy question, and then we're, we're getting the answer to that. And it has this, like I said, like a slot machine. It's just fun to learn something, get that dopamine hit of I learned something, I'm better off for it. 
and it was quick, you know, it wasn't long. I was able to listen, you know, and I'm brushing my teeth or, you know, going for a run, I can load up a bunch of I think episodes. a lot of, I've been involved with the internet since the very beginning of it, like in the, the mid nineties before there, you know, I was using the Mozilla browser or not. No, I'm sorry. The, the mosaic browser um, before there was even a Netscape. And there was all this promise about what the internet could do. And a lot of that has come true, to be completely honest. You'll be able to shop at home. You'll be able to read any book in the world and work anywhere. That's true. The downside has been the same thing that's what ha what's happened with food. Getting enough calories to survive has always been a problem for all of humanity. We have solved that problem to the point where obesity is now a bigger problem than starvation. And information has always been uh, something that's been a shortage throughout human history. Books were very expensive. Getting an education is very expensive. We now have everything at our fingertips. You know, a challenge I always make is, can you find something that you can't learn on YouTube? Can you find a video about, about any subject? And if you remember, and so we're, we're consuming a lot of garbage, just like we do with food, informational garbage. Why anybody follows Kim Kardashian, I don't know. I don't know what she brings to the table. I don't know what you, anyone benefits. I'm embarrassed to say I know her name. But we need to be more cognizant of this fact and, and, and not spend time on social media. And, uh, you know, even video games. I've played video games for a long time, and I've stopped, for the most part, doing that because they just suck up uh, enormous amounts of time, spend more time reading long form content, read a book or a very long article rather than, than social media, which is usually just someone's emotion and, and, and saying something about someone else. Um, and so I've become a big believer in, in a lot of that, that we need, it's not what we can do, it's what we should do. We can do pretty much anything. And the other thing is, is you know, a culture of learning, that learning, isn't something you do when you're young. It's something that you have to do your whole life. And that's something I'm trying to do with my podcast. You know, I'm hoping that some of these episodes, people will be interested enough to go and, and, and learn more about it themselves. There's only so much I can do in a 10 minute show. And I, and I'm aware of that. Um, but I, I even encourage people, you know, I talk about it to, to go and learn math. If you're one of those people that you never did, oh, I was never good at math. Go do it now as an adult go to Khan Academy and they have free videos. I have a degree in math. You can go from one plus one equals two to I'd say about halfway through a bachelor's degree in mathematics on Khan Academy for free at your own pace. And if that doesn't work for you, there are videos on YouTube that will someone explain it in a different way. There's so much content out there that um, there's no reason not to. And I, you know, just like the Industrial Revolution, in hindsight, we look back on it, and it took centuries to resolve. And there were all these social upheavals that happened, but you know, workers living in slums in the city. We're in the middle of that right now. We're in the middle of a revolution. We may not see it, but you know, as a blogger, you probably can see firsthand what happened to journalism, how the newspapers and everything. You know, it's just completely that. It's going to happen to education next. It makes the college I went to. At the time when I went, uh, late 80s, early 90s, cost $16,000 a year, which at the time was really expensive. I graduated with about $25,000 in debt, and I managed to pay that off 
by the time I turn 25. Today, my alma mater costs $70,000 a year for food board and tuition. And I couldn't in good conscience ever recommend anybody go there. It's crazy. And the weird thing is places like MIT and Stanford are putting their courses online for free. They're giving away the core product that they make, which if you think about it, really kind of shows that the value of going to a place like Stanford or MIT has nothing to do with learning. It's all about credentialism. It's, a, it's an average school with a very good luxury brand around it. And I think more people are waking up to this notion of credentialism. And uh, I, uh, one of the debates I always have is, you know, I tell people, is Harvard a good school? And they go, oh, yeah. It's like, well, why? Do, you, do they teach you things you can't learn anywhere else? No, they teach you these the same things. The math is the same. The science, everything's the same. Do they use different textbooks or instructional materials? No, it's all the same. Are the better? No, they're not. In fact, often they're worse because they're hired because they're teachers. They're hired because they're researchers. And they don't even want to be in a classroom. They want to be doing research. So they get graduate assistants to do it. So the teachers aren't better. So the question is, why is it a good school? The answer is, it's a good brand. And that's because it's elite and they reject so many people. And, and that's why and people want to be associated with that brand. Harvard is no different than Louis Vuitton at this point. And when we, when we get down to the basics of what education is, uh, there's this going to be this notion that you know, education is something you're responsible for. And you can do it your whole life and you can learn whatever you want. And so hopefully in, in, in some little way, you know, my podcast is doing it. And I think travel is a big part of that too. You know, people always ask me, why do you travel? And the answer was to learn. Well, I think that's a great way to describe your podcast. Um, I want to ask you before I let you go, do you have any favorite episodes, anything that comes to mind or episodes that maybe, uh, you know, people should pluck out their personal favorites? No, um, I, I purposely think that people should. What I tell people, if you want to introduce, go to my podcast, just just go to it and start at any show that piques your interest. There's 550, so something's got to. Either at the end of that show, you're going to get it, and you'll probably listen to a bunch more, or you won't. And it's 10 minutes of your time, and seven minutes of your time if you're listening at speed and a half. Um, I listen to my own show at double speed. I, I think I talk too slow when I listen to it at normal speed. But just, just start with there. Uh, the show is not a serial show, so it doesn't matter what order you listen to it in. I sometimes reference previous shows I've done, but it's usually not necessary that you you listen to that show beforehand. Um, yeah, just uh, listen to it every. And I get people all the time that 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 come to me saying that they've listened to every episode, that they've gone through and listened to all 500 of them. Uh, one guy did a cross country drive, and he just listened to all the episodes. Uh, so that's always nice to hear uh, that that people are doing that. But um, I think that's, that's really kind of how you got to learn. You have to start with what you're interested in and just go from there. Well, well the podcast is everything everywhere daily. Um, I'll leave links to it in the show notes and wherever I post the podcast. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Gary. It's, it's been just a really, both learning about the podcast has been very interesting from a technical side because I, I, I'm really interested when people get analytical about something you know, and you put a lot of thought into not only the content, but how the content is created and distributed. 
um, and sort of put those things all in a row. Um, I also really like the chess episode. So um, th that's always a lot of fun. A any chess facts? Uh, I I'm... Yeah, so um, thanks very much for your time. Uh, is there anything else you want to add or anything that anybody should know about what you're up to? Well, if you really want to get into the weeds about um, how the podcast works, I'm actually launching another podcast. This is going to be more of a hobby podcast. It's not going to have a set schedule or anything. Uh, it's called the uh, the discoverability problem. And basically, I, I I take a very analytical approach to podcast marketing. And I've been able to grow the show quite a bit. So I'm, I don't know, I think by early March, I should do my 2 millionth download of the show, uh, which is pretty good for, you know, show that's been going on for just over 18 months. Um, but I, I really get into the numbers and I even get into like, you know, how to promote on this app versus this app. Um, what's the biggest bang for your buck? And I'm also a big believer in spending money if you want to, turn the show into a business and looking at it analytically because a lot of people um they started there are so many podcasts that are abandoned uh because i think people don't find any sort of success and i i view podcasting you shouldn't view a podcast like a blog or a youtube channel where you have this company google that is driving almost all your traffic a podcast is more like a movie and if you look at what a movie needs to do to be successful, they spend a large amount of their budget on marketing. And that's, I think at least when you start something that a lot of podcasts should consider doing, especially if you have a business plan for how you can, uh, you know, bring in revenue and become profitable, that it, it's something that can be very effective. And that podcast is still in, in planning or? I just literally, <laughs> before I started talking to you, created the account on a podcast host so cool yeah send me the Hopefully link I'll, <laughs> I'll create a first episode sometime this week cool i i don't know how you managed to do it i i, I it, it's it's uh it's really amazing how how much how much content you're able to just put out on a daily basis so um it's because i do nothing else <laughs> when i started when i launched this podcast like i was is there a, an explicit rating for the show no. Oh, so I mean, it is? It, it's not a problem. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> so when the pandemic hit, I was fucked. And I think a lot of travel bloggers were in the same situation, right? So when I came up with this idea, I saw the math would work, but I had to grow the show. And so I realized, okay, I'm going to have to sit down every day for probably a couple of years and do this. And so that's just what I've been doing is, is, and I should, here's the other funny thing. I, I haven't brought this up because I do a script for every show. And then the script makes for a blog post on my website. My media vine income has tripled since I started the podcast. It's just so because I'm, I'm putting out so much content. It's not SEO optimized or anything, but there's just so much of it. And every so often I'll post something. And I, I didn't even like, I did a, a show on the number of the beast that just got a ton of web traffic. I don't know why, but it did. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Every time I look and I see, oh, I see the script, you know, on your site and then the podcast. And I'm like, that is a ton of work. It, it is. But uh, I, I, I like that. I like, you know, I mean, I understand having a, you know, 
several years plan. I think I think when you do things online, it's almost like a necessary. Most people want the the quick return, but I, it you know it takes time. It takes time to grow an audience and consistency. Yeah, and even in the last few days, I've had one of the things I've been uh, submitting my my show to get featured on Castbox every month since I started the show, and it's never been featured. Two days ago, something happened. And the number of subscribers on CastBox increased tenfold. And I'm on pace today. I'm just looking at my numbers to just blow through my biggest day ever of downloads. And you just kind of have to keep grinding away at it. And eventually shit happens. And uh, it's a, a lot of people just don't have the stomach for it. There was an, an article that just came out a few days ago that all the top 10 podcasts on the internet right now are a decade old. And I'm sure you've heard this as well. People want to start a travel blog and say, oh, the only reason you're successful is because you got in early. It's like, well, that's survivor bias because there are a lot of people that had websites back then who quit and you don't see their websites anymore. The only ones you see are the ones that are still around. And yeah, if you've been around, it was a lot easier to get links 10 years ago than it is today. Um, and you just accumulate them over time and you develop some authority, even if you're not trying to do it. But yeah, I mean it's it's fun to go back. Sometimes I'll I'll see if I can find dead travel blogs. So again, just see what the last post was, just out of curiosity and when it was. Um, a lot of them are 2019. It just kind of seems like a drop off. But but yeah, it does take. It's easier to to do things. I, I feel like rather than trying to get one viral thing, it's much easier. Well, not easier, but more achievable to slowly tick away at something and slowly an audience and if something goes viral then great but over a long period of time all those you know those that work put in will, will add up in the end maybe well the interesting <laughs> thing about podcasting is that nothing goes viral there's no viral element because there's no algorithm there's no sharing component there's no like button so you really have to grind out an audience but the good part is that you don't need as big of an audience and uh, you know, if you have 10,000 uh, people visiting your website a month, that's, that's not a lot. That's not, you can't make a living off that. But if you have 10,000 people listening to your podcast, that's, you can actually do quite well from that. That's when you can start actually making money. Well, I appreciate all the effort you put in. I look forward to the episodes. Um, again, I'll link to it in the show notes. Thanks again for taking the time and it's been fascinating by just on all fronts. So I really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you everybody for listening to this episode of the podcast. Thank you for giving this podcast five stars, wherever you happen to be listening, whether it's Google, Stitcher, Apple, you know, all the places I really appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to the second half of this season, which we are in the middle of. So make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss the next episode. And until then, have a great rest of your day. 